please join me in the prayer of illumination. Let us pray. As water splashed across our face awakens us in the morn, may your word awaken us to your presence. Wash us in your wisdom, bathe us in your goodness, refresh us with your grace by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's scripture will be from 1 Kings 19, 3 through 18. Elijah was terrified. He got up and ran for his life. He arrived at Beersheba in Judah and left his assistant there. He himself went farther on into the desert a day's journey. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down and slept under the solitary broom bush. Then suddenly a messenger tapped him and said to him, Get up, eat something. Elijah opened his eyes and saw flat bread baked on the glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. He ate and drank and then went back to sleep. The Lord's messenger returned a second time and tapped him. Get up, the messenger said, and eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Elijah got up, ate and drank, and went refreshed by the food for 40 days and nights until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The Lord's word came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been very passionate for the Lord of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have, they have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they want to take my life too. The Lord said, Go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound, thin, quiet. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat. He went out and stood at the cave's entrance. A voice came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? He said, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I am the only one left and they want to take my life too. The Lord said to him, go back through the desert to Damascus and anoint Hazel as king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, Nimshi's son, as king of Israel and anoint Elisha from abel Mohoya. Shaphat's son, to succeed as your prophet. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have preserved those who remain in Israel, totaling 7,000, all those whose knees haven't bowed down to Baal and those mouths who haven't kissed them. The word of God for the people of God. The early church believed in two paths in discipleship, the path of action and the path of contemplation. I think it's fair to say that here in America, in the West, we are very interested in action. What are the outcomes? What are the numbers? What are the metrics? That contemplation often looks to us like just sitting still doing nothing. But the road of contemplation is one that we might want to spend time with. A poem for the moment 
Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as far, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no steps have trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. We're all very familiar with Robert Frost's poem. We're familiar in interpreting it as uh, free thinking and independence of taking the way that was less traveled. But what's fascinating about the poem is that it was written after Frost had spent three years in England and made an acquaintance with a particular poet, Edward Thomas. Uh, Edward Thomas and he would go out hiking quite often, and they would come to a fork in the road and they would debate and be indecisive about where they should go. And so this poem written and included in a letter to Thomas after Frost had come back to the States was a little bit of playful poet jest. That isn't it funny how uh, we might debate about which path to follow. Uh, uh, Edward Thomas was one of those folks who uh, was indecisive about what to do next, and having received this poem uh, shortly after enlisted uh, in uh, Britain's army and went to World War I, and two years into the war had died. The poem is not about free thinkers who take the path less trod. The poem is about those who are so internally focused and indecisive that they wonder what that thing they did insignificantly way back when would have made a difference today. I want to encourage us to go down the path of contemplation, to uh, spend some time. Sometimes we have gone action to action to action to action that we are so far from the place where contemplation could be that would take us so long to get back there. The series for Lent is kind of wrapped up in this uh, thinking of silence and stillness. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in that moment, that moment where nothing is going well, everything is falling around you. There are uh, folk who are critical of the, everything that you're doing. Um, You feel like hit is coming after hit after hit. And you can't dream about what would be the best thing to go do to make it all better. So you just sit down and you take a breath. Our scripture story is right in that place. Right in that place of someone uh, who has played by the rules, who has fought the good fight, has done everything they could, and the hits just keep on coming. Uh, Elijah. Uh, Elijah is the main character in our uh, scripture story today. Um, uh, Elijah has found himself under a broom bush. 
um, or um, a worm plant. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to describe it, but uh, assuming an arid desert environment, this was a place for shade. And he sits down in a place for shade, and he says, essentially, he says, I wish I would die. Now, this is interesting. Why would you wish you would die? If you rewind the tape and you read 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, if, um, you know, we're familiar with Battle of the Bands, this was Battle of the Prophets, right? It was uh, the prophet of Yahweh and the prophet of Baal. Except the prophet of Baal had about a thousand prophets and the queen, Jezebel, uh, was in charge of them. And so they had uh, put a stack of wood on either side of the field and the prophets of Baal were to pray in such a way that the stack of wood would be set on fire by Baal, their god. Now, uh, Elijah maintained that Baal was an idol, um, that he wasn't a real god, and that he couldn't set anything on fire. And that uh, Yahweh, the god uh, that we worship, the living god, um, that he could set anything on fire, it didn't matter. And so he encouraged them to bring jars, huge cisterns of water, and pour it over the stack of wood on his side. And as the prophets of Baal prayed in uh, day in and day out for uh, their God to light the fire, uh, Elijah, he was so confident, he threw some trash talk over at the prophets of Baal. Um, the Hebrew is a little bit ambiguous, uh, but it's something along the lines of, is your God deposed? Oh, or that, that's like the King James, the nice translation. Um, the tacky translation is, is he stuck uh, in the outhouse, right? Um, because the prophets of Baal could not get Baal to light the stack of wood on fire. But yet Elijah calls out in prayer and the water-soaked wood erupts into flame. So why, a chapter later, is Elijah under a broom bush wishing that he was dead? It's a very interesting story, right? Jezebel has threatened his life. Uh, she has put to the sword many of the prophets of God um, that uh, Elijah has run out into the wilderness um, and wishes that he would just die. He falls asleep uh, in the shade of the broom bush and he is awoken by an angelic visitor who cooks him uh, a meal uh, and sends him back to bed. And then he's woken again underneath the broom uh, plant, the shade, and cooked another meal and told to go to the mountain, God's mountain, Mount Horeb, and find a cave there and stand out in front of the mountain. Now, Elijah was one of these guys, he got things done. If there was a motto for Elijah, it would be borrowed from Nike, just do it right? I mean, he was uh, quite the guy to establish uh, that first commandment, that idea that there will be no other gods except Yahweh, the living God. And if you disagreed, well, he'd gladly put you to the sword, right? Not that we're going back to those days, um, but he was quite the get it done kind of a prophet. And being a get it done kind of a prophet, he was only as good as his last uh, sermon or prophetic message, right? He was only as good as his last um, uh, church council meeting. He was only as good as his last moment of leading. And so if the last moment wasn't perfect, it was easy for Elijah to fall under the crush of his own inadequacy. Elijah was a man of action. Elijah could get it done, but Elijah had been overwhelmed with all the things 
all the stuff, all the doing, and he decided that if he was the prophet of God and it wasn't going like he thought it should go, then just take me now, Lord. I wanna be done. I think it's interesting that uh, most surveys show um, that pastors quit on Monday morning. I think we got a little Elijah complex going on among pastors, right? And so God, knowing what Elijah needed, sent Elijah to the mountain, out into the wilderness. Elijah was used to being in the center of activity, uh, there being the speaker for God. They're kind of pulling about what needed to happen uh, for God. But God said, go, go to the mountain. God said, go, go out into the wilderness. God said, go. And a voice comes to Elijah when he's in the mountain, in the cave. He says, uh, Elijah, why are you here? And what's interesting is uh, Elijah says the same thing here, and then a couple of few verses later, he says the same speech again when God asks. God asks the first time, why are you here? And Elijah says, I am passionate uh, for uh, you, Lord. Um, But Israel has forsaken you. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to the sword. I am the only one left. Now, time out. He's wrong. I mean, he's not the only one left. Later on in the scripture story, we hear that there are a thousand prophets, right? That there are a number of people who have not um, kissed uh, Baal and are still in love with God. But if you've got the Elijah complex, you do things. And when things don't do perfectly, you say, oh, Lord, take me now, right? Then I guess in Elijah's mind, he thought he'd been a failure. So God shows up. God shows up, Um, there is a um, earthquake, there is a wind that breaks storms, there is a fire that is beyond anyone's expectation, but scripture tells us that God is not in the wind and not in the fire and not in the earthquake. And then there's this still, small voice, and God is in the voice. Elijah puts on his coat and he comes out from the cave he stands in front of the presence of God. And again, he's asked, why, why are you here? And he gives the same response, but I, I really want to say that it's not the same intonation. It's not, I am so passionate for what you're doing, God, but there's everyone, they've fallen away and they've, they've torn down your altars and they put your prophets to the sword and I'm the only one left. I'm pretty sure that after the still small voice, what we get is, I'm passionate for what you're doing, God, but they've forsaken your covenant pour down your altars, put the prophets to the sword, and I'm the only one left. You see the difference between it? You know, Elijah was a man of action, but for God to connect with Elijah, Elijah had to be a man of inaction, a man of stillness, a person who was acquainted with uh, quiet. There's a great children's book Um, uh, it's, uh, let's see, uh, a hole is for digging. That's the title. And it's a bunch of pages, right, of actions. A hole is for digging. A pile of leaves is for jumping. A mud puddle is for sliding in and going oodly-doo. I'm sure you could write the rest of the pages, right? It has that great uh, innocence of a child, right? Uh, I I can remember uh, reading that book and thinking how simple this is, right? Because let's be honest, a hole is not for digging. Uh, A hole is for covering up because there's liability issues of slip and fall at the church, right? 
Um, or a pile of leaves is not a pile of leaves to jump into. Do you know what lives in that pile of leaves? No, we're not going to do that. Where's the hand sanitizer now, right? And a mud puddle is not for slipping and going oodly-doo. Who goes oodly-doo? Nobody in their right mind, not adults at least. There's something about our experience of church that if a hole is for digging and a pile of leaves is for jumping and a mud puddle is for sliding and saying oodly-doo, then silence is to be filled. It's, I mean, in seminary, I remember in the worship class, right? Be sure that you start moving to the pulpit to preach while the scripture's being read. We don't want any gaps of silence like it's the boogeyman. If a hole is for digging and silence is for being filled, where does that leave us? Who seem to be Elijah's sons and daughters, people of action and outcome and results. If God needs to connect with us and we fill silence, how will we connect with God? I want to invite you to be called out of the noise, uh, to get off the path of uh, action and surrender to the path of contemplation. All throughout uh, the season of Lent will give you opportunities for stillness and for silence. Just be sure that you realize it's silence with intention, not silence that turns into a nap, but if you're that tired, it's okay. But silence that restores, stillness that centers. There are so many messages that we hear through marketing, through advertising, through the people around us. I want to invite you to be called out of the noise so that you might hear the still, small voice of the one who created you, the one who loves you, and the one who redeems you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Chapelwood United Methodist Church exists to help ourselves and others take their next step in their faith journey with Christ. And for the season of Lent, the next step in our faith journey with Christ may be to sit still, to listen to the silence, to connect with God. But if there are actions that you'd like to be taking, we'd love for you to consider going to UM Army. Uh, it's an opportunity for there we go, uh, for you to um, help raise a generation in faith, uh, to help other people uh, who have substandard housing, uh, and to be part of a worshiping community for a week. Uh, also, we'd love to ask if you're a guest here today uh, that you'd visit our uh, guest table. It's an opportunity for you to ask questions, get answers, uh, and even receive a special gift. Uh, again, we promise we will not stalk you. Um, lastly, I wonder what Lent will be like for you not measured by outcomes, not looking for results, but just finding that quiet stillness to connect with God. Our closing hymn is Come Rejoice. If today's the day that you'd like to join the church, we'd love for you to come down during this closing hymn. You can find the, hymn, the music for the hymn uh, in the faith we sing.
David Hill, come and lead us and come rejoice in God. And let's join together as David Hill leads us in our sung benediction.